fragility has a ratchet-like property, the irreversibility of damage. Oh, but Jimmy, my stock market guy told me that I don't have to worry when the stock market goes down because it'll always come back, right? Don't worry about that. We're in it for the long run, right? This is missing the irreversibility of damage, right? That if we're fragile, like that package that gets damaged, once it's not in a bad situation anymore, it can't miraculously repair itself. Welcome to the Rise Up Live Free podcast, where we're going to be giving you the exact blueprint to reach financial freedom in 10 years or less, regardless of your age, your income, or your experience. You see, we believe that 97% of traditional financial advice is dangerous, misleading, or outright wrong. And we're here to empower you on how you can use money and cash flow as a tool to create, build, and live a life you love now rather than having to wait until you're 65. If you're ready to take immediate action, join us over at cashflowtactics.com forward slash podcast. Hey, welcome back. Rise up, live free Cashflow Tactics listeners. I am your host, Jimmy Vreeland, along with Brad Gibb. You want to say hi, Bradley? What's up, everybody? I am crazy excited about, about this one today. I love it when we talk about this man. We both admittedly have man crushes on him. Openly and unashamedly. And so I re, after our first podcast of Anti-Fragile, I started reading it again. And I don't know if you know how I read, but I only read like five pages at a time, especially Taleb because oh, he comes up with like an awesome thick. idea. And then I would just want to go walk around and think about it for like a week. And that's it's, kinda, it's torture listening to this one on an ebook because it's so dense with ideas. You don't ever get a chance to, to geek out on it. So I listened to it the first time. And the second time I read through it, I had that five pages at a time. And then I had to like, yeah, walk and get my thoughts on it. And like he, this on Sunday, I, I sat down and read five more pages. And this is, it's perfect. Cause the episode before this is the wealth pyramid, right? Yeah. If not as a couple, it was very done very recently. Yes. Yeah, and I, I, this is just a deeper dive in the wealth pyramid. And as I have reread Anti-Fragile for like the third time, I'm just like, wait a minute. The practical application of this is the wealth pyramid. And I'm just like, awesome. Like, I'm so glad that you built this before I read Anti-Fragile. But now that you get the Anti-Fragile award of the day, Brad. There we go. See, Jimmy likes me even more. That makes me feel warm and fuzzy, Jimmy, that you like yeah. me even more. I came up with this, what, uh, the first time I ever wrote this down was 2014, I think, is when we first were making the sketches, like bringing those concepts together and what's now the wealth pyramid. And you're right, like what we're going to share today is irrefutable that it matters what order we go in, right? It doesn't matter that we had all the things right. I was having a conversation with my kids. It's, it's very similar to this. Like, so my, my two boys are in jujitsu and uh, I had a conversation with them after their class uh, the other day. And my son was saying, he was like, well, but I tried my hardest. And I was like, great. Like, I always want you to try your hardest. And I always want you to feel good about trying your hardest. But there are some things in life that trying hard doesn't matter. Like, it, if you try hard, your hardest and you don't get the result, you still didn't get your result. So it's about making our hardest better. And I think in investing, there's lots of people like, well, I followed all the rules. I got a good job. And I saved. And I did the 401k. I did, I did all the things. Like, well, it's not, it's not my fault. I'm like, you're right. It's, it might not be, but we still don't have the outcome that we want. And so today's episode is going to be talking about like from the aspect of nature, from the aspect of science, there's an order to the world in general that things are built. 
And we're going to talk about that in wealth because I think that's completely missed so many times. Yeah. So the title of today's uh, episode is that with wealth building, order of operations matter, colon, anti-fragile two. Second episode on anti-fragile. So we're going to dive deep into the conversation today that with wealth building and really in life, order of operations matter. Uh, For example, you grew up on a farm, right, Brad? Uh Uh-huh. Did it make much sense to, and uh, it was a, it was a hay farm, right? Yep. Did it make much sense to harvest, to bring the harvester out before you planted the seeds? It wouldn't have, I, we needed the harvester. It was an essential part of it, but it came last, right? Yeah. And it wouldn't have made a lot of sense to water the ground if we hadn't planted the seeds first, right? Yep. And I know, I know in my financial journey, I would. I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, and I read everything Kiyosaki had, and I tried to do everything he said to do. So that means real estate. The only thing I was incapable of doing, because there was a time in the '90s, I think he was also saying, "Hey, you should take companies public." I tried real estate. I tried oil and gas. I tried options. If he had a podcast about it, I was going to try it, and so. My oil and gas one was the absolute worst experience ever. Like I sent my money away and then six weeks later, I got an email or got a letter from the SEC saying, oh, uh, we've shut this rig down because it is in violation of several SEC rules. And, and, and Jimmy, it was funny. You and I sat in an investment conference three years ago in Park City and the presenter up there, 10 minutes in, I leaned over to you. I was like, that's a Ponzi scheme. Not a chance. No way. <laughs> The whole room loved them. The whole room was that way, excited about what it was. 18 months later, they got indicted and shut down. And then my, like, uh, my, this guy on stage was so nice. And I'm like, he's got to be a crook because there's no reason to be this nice (laughs) if you're just creating a good deal. (laughs) Actually, the people that create, if, if, if we take Jimmy as the standard, right? The people that create the best deals aren't the nicest people out there. They don't need to be. You got a good deal. I, if you're a crazy nice person, I will instantly distrust you. Like you're <laughs> hiding something somewhere. That's awesome. All right, Jimmy, let me read the page that you sent to me to say, and then said, hey, we have to do a podcast episode on this. So let your brain, let this seep into your brains as I read it. And then we're going to break this down through the rest of the episode. But we thought being boring for about two minutes while I read through this page in the book will help give enough context to it and then we'll break it all down. So this is what he says. Nassim says, the first step toward anti-fragility consists in first decreasing downside rather than increasing upside. That is by lowering exposure to negative black swans and letting natural anti-fragility work by itself. Mitigating fragility is not an option, but a requirement. It may sound obvious, but the point seems to be missed. For fragility is very punishing, like a terminal disease. A package doesn't break under adverse conditions, then manage to fix itself when proper conditions are restored. Fragility has a ratchet-like property, the irreversibility of damage. What matters is the route taken, the order of events, not just the destination. Think about that. I want to, I'm going to say that one again. What matters is the route taken, the order of events, not just the destination, what scientists call a path-dependent property. Path dependence can be illustrated as follows. You're experiencing getting a kidney stone operation first and anesthesia later is different from having the procedures done in the opposite sequence. Or your enjoyment of a meal with coffee and dessert first and tomato soup last would not be the same as the inverse order. 
The notion of efficiency becomes quite meaningless on its own. If a gambler has a risk of a terminal blowup, losing back everything, the potential returns of his strategy are totally inconsequential. A few years ago, a university fellow boasted to me that their endowment fund was earning 20% or so, not realizing that these returns were associated with fragilities that would easily turn into catastrophic losses. Sure enough, a bad year wiped out all these returns and endangered the university. In other words, if something is fragile, its risk of breaking makes anything you do to improve it or make it, quote unquote, efficient, inconsequential, unless you first reduce that risk of breaking. As Cyrus wrote, nothing can be done both hastily and safely. Almost nothing. So full of good stuff. Yeah. Let's start unwinding that. And then can I, I, let me break that down into everyday vernacular. It's your rate of return is irrelevant if you have a risk of ruin. Your first job is to eliminate your or mitigate. It's very hard to eliminate risk of ruin. Yeah. But instead of focusing on rate of return, you focus on risk of ruin. That's it. And what I, the air I made with the oil and gas and doing everything Kiyosaki said was I thought I could just will myself to financial freedom. I could ignore all risk. And as long as my rate of return was high, I could get there. And what actually worked is meeting Ryan and Brad and building a wealth pyramid where my risk of ruin is incredibly low. I just jinxed myself. I'm going to get something really bad is about going to happen to me now. Darn it. I mean, I have a friend whose risk of ruin is really yes. low. <laughs> and then they grew um, financially wealthy. Yeah. And this is what Taleb says when he says that mitigating fragility is not an option, but a requirement. And so many people come into our world getting really, really excited because we paint this picture of financial freedom 10 years or less, right? Regardless of age, income, or experience. That is absolutely true. But then what surprises people is the very next thing that we talk about is this boring idea that before we can show you the ways that we're going to go make money, we have to make your life so incredibly boring and safe that we can actually go do those things. And we get people, I was just on the phone with a client. He's been about 90, about 120 days into our programs. He was like, I'm really frustrated at how slow this is going. I'm like, I get it. But this is laying the foundations to all of it. And then it's fun to talk to the people that have been in one year, two year, three year. We just did, we just recorded a, a video with about 30 of our students talking about what this did for them during the COVID crisis. But the very first thing we come in is we put in a foundation centered on protection and liquidity before we move into any sort of investing. That's step one. Not line up all the, the, the best investments and let's start picking. Not let's maximize our rate of return, just our spoken rate of return on a piece of paper. Let's get rid of all our reserves. Let's go all in on this plan and be financially free in 18 months. Yep, because, because rate of return does not equate to financial freedom. Rate right? of return if, is some cool um, water cooler stat, right? Yes. Like if the economy is about to collapse on the 30th of the month, your rate of return on the 29th is irrelevant. Is irrelevant because it's not even real, right? It's our best guess at a particular moment in time. It's not the end outcome. But that's because nobody studies order of operations, that is missed. Okay. So according to cash flow tactics and the wealth pyramid, what is the order of operations you have to start with? 
Right? So we, this is why we, we illustrate financial freedom as a pyramid. If you can see my shirt on the live stream, or if you look at our logo, it's built in a pyramid because your job is to go find two friends and bring them to our next meeting. On, no, that's not that kind of pyramid, right? But it's in a pyramid because it stacks, right? And to have strength, the base has to be by definition larger than the top. So the very bottom of it is acknowledging that you are your greatest asset, right? You are your greatest investment. We start there. It starts with investing in yourself, increasing your skill sets, your mindsets, and your networks. And like, look, if you're listening, when the first time they said this to me, I thought it was BS too. I'm like, ah, they're just trying to sell me an info product. But if I can look back, your guys' investment in Inner Circle and my investment in Collective Genius, I have a hundred times return on that. Like, cannot put a price on it. Easily a hundred times return on it, right? No rate of return doesn't matter. <laughs> okay. Then the next layer of the pyramid is putting together what we call the base of the pyramid. And this is having adequate protection starts with protecting you. Since you're the greatest asset, you have to be protected, your ability to continue to produce, and then a plan in place for it. As you acquire things, how is that value protected? Okay. Most of that lies inside of insurance. Okay. Oh, but Brad, insurance is expensive. It's a scam that that agents sell you to make money. Yeah. Well, if you want to look at this, if you zoom out and look at the greatest economies in the world, there's a handful of them, right? All of them developed deep insurance markets. And the only reason, one of the reasons the United States is still at the top when it comes to capital markets, it's because we have the deepest insurance markets as well. Like there's no other way to look at it. So we start there, then we move to liquidity, okay? This is, these are reserves against the uncertain. It's reserves against external forces, your own internal economy, but it's making sure that we have those together. And if you're on the live stream, this is where you start. This is the greatest. This is all about long, slow, and boring. It's called the richest man in Babylon. And basically it just says 10% of your active income you go, is saved and saved forever. And if you look back since Babylon, that's how people got wealthy. Yep. Then we move from the base to investments or actions we take that follow all four core four and four pillars. That's level one of the pyramid. It is not in level one if it does not have all core four and all four pillars. Now, don't think about the thing. It's how we participate in the thing. Is it possible that the stock market could be in level one? No. Okay. I'm going to push back on you, Jimmy. If I start a business whose actions are like its primary business activity is trading in the stock market, like I would argue that Berkshire Hathaway, the ownership that he has in that company, because he's running it day to day, it fits inside level one because it's a business. Like there's two, two investments that fit in level one of the pyramid, your business or your earning potential and rental real estate. I stand corrected. Right. But if I wanted to try to put the stock market into the into that lower level, I wouldn't be able to do it because I don't I don't have a business. I don't have a passion for it. I don't have a time, effort, energy. What if you did an IPO on cash flow tactics? That would still be there. I would still be there. Okay. Okay. Then as we go up the pyramid, what happens is, is we lose pillars and we take on risk. Back to the beginning of this whole podcast. Okay. As we take on more risk, our risk of ruin increases the higher we go up the pyramid. So at the very top, we have just appreciation as our return potential, which 
breed speculation and our risk of ruin is at its peak. It's at its peak. Your risk of ruin for that individual investment is Is, high. Is high. Since you've built such a solid base in your pyramid, you in the aggregate, uh, not really unaffected. Now, the average person builds it upside down, right? They go after everything we're taught is everything that sits in the top of that pyramid. And because we have no base, we're upside down. And now we are completely exposed to risk of ruin because we don't have the base. You tell a 23-year-old kid the latest Apple employee to invest in the same thing as a 50-year-old employee who probably has, if he's been responsible, probably has a decent base. You need to be telling that 23-year-old, you got to start building that base. You at a minimum have some term life insurance. You have some type of hedge, some type of liquidity. Yeah. And are you still continuing to invest in yourself? Are you going to ride that college degree for the next 50 years? Right? Yeah. Okay. And then the bigger mistake is, is we try to say, oh, I'm going to learn how to invest in the stock market. I'm going to look at what Berkshire Hathaway is doing or Ray Dalio or the Stanford Endowment Fund. Same problem, right? They have completely different objectives, completely different histories, completely different liquid positions. I mean, it's not even the same analysis. So the bigger problem is, is we're not asking the question correctly. It doesn't matter. Remember back to order of operations, right? It doesn't matter that back to the surgery, right? Or back to planting and harvesting. It doesn't matter that we had all of the elements. It matters that we did all of those elements in the correct order, right? And everyone asks the questions, what are all the elements the Stanford Endowment Fund has? None of them ask, how did the Stanford Endowment Fund acquire its $8 billion in the first place or however many it has, right? They didn't ask, How did Ray Dalio become wealthy in the first place? They just look at what he has now and think, oh, if I have all the same things, then I'll be in the same position. Yeah, like Ray Dalio at this point isn't trying to build wealth. He's trying to preserve it. Yeah, or he's trying to not be bored. And he can can go do some things that have huge potential upsides, but for him personally have very, very limited downside because of his foundation. And like to Taleb's credit, like he's such a good writer and uh, such a compelling person. He could be running a invest like Taleb course. And yes. he does not do that. And he strictly refrains from it. And that, right. it makes can me I, love him even more. Can I throw a side note in? Sure. Uh, to me, one of the best treatises on morals and morality, the last section of anti-fragile, because like, I like the intellectual approach to it. And the like backtesting approach to it and all that, his his analysis of what makes you a moral person is fantastic. And it's basically that, right? If you see a Charlton and don't call Charlton, who's the real Charlton, right? And I mean, it basically comes down a lot. What we do here is you can't lead what you don't live, right? And if you don't have skin in the game, then you can't be telling other people what to do. So anyway, go read that. Last chapter, by the way of Skin in the Game became his next book, Skin in the Game, which is also a great book. Oh, so good. Here's, here's one thing I want to break apart next. So he made this comment that he said, fragility has a ratchet-like property, the irreversibility of damage. Oh, but Jimmy, my stock market guy told me that I don't have to worry when the stock market goes down because it always comes back, right? Don't worry about that. We're in it for the long run, right? This is missing the irreversibility of damage, right? That if we're fragile like that package that gets damaged, once it's not in a bad situation anymore, it can't miraculously repair itself. 
Yeah, right? and you can super glue the vase back together, but it still looks horrible. Yes. So you can super glue your portfolio back together and you can get back to a valuation of where you were before the crash. That I am supremely confident that the issues that we're having right now in the economy, the S&P will be higher at some point if it's not already there, right? Yep. But what can you not get back? What can our investors never get back? What is the irreversibility of that damage? Time. The years lost waiting while everything crashed and then waiting to get back up. Just to get back to par, not to continue to build and to continue to go up. Yep. And again, the destination doesn't matter, right? Eventually, I'll have a lot of money if I wait long enough. But the problem is I have to wait and I can never get those years back. That's the irreversibility and why you're stuck playing a 40-year game. Because nobody has acknowledged to you that there's a proper order. And when you lose time, you lose the most important piece of what you're trying to get in your plan. And you violate the number one rule of investing, which is to not lose money. And are you under, like, we've said that a lot, right? But I doubt for a lot of you, it's really, truly sunk in. That's why that is the number one rule. Whether, whether Warren Buffett could articulate that or not, the reason why never lose money is rule number one is he's acknowledging that it's the first requirement of wealth is to become anti-fragile, not lose, right? Then we can go build. Like how would you handle it on the farm if 20% of your seed, you just got somebody came in the night and stole it? What would you guys do? You'd be like, eventually we'll get the seeds back, right? But it'll right. take three or four years. No, we'd have to solve that problem now and there would be a real loss to it. Yeah. Even if the crop started producing its own seeds and get the whole reason you never want to lose money is you never, those are your seeds. You cannot lose those seeds. Yeah. So then there's a phrase and if it's broader than the farming community, but I heard it growing up all the time of never eat your seed corn, right? Yeah. Never eat your seed corn. That's what you're talking about, right? You can't ever get that back. And that's where everything's going to come from. That's the most valuable part. That's the becoming anti-fragile is never eating your seed corn. So I want to come back, Jimmy, to your oil and gas example, right? Here's another great example. Okay. You weren't doing the traditional stocks, bonds, and mutual funds because you'd read Rich that poured out and you were now super smart and you were on your path to financial freedom. And I love talking about my oil rig at the water cooler. It was it, awesome. It made you sound so cool, right? Yeah. But then when you got the letter from the SEC, here's why this is so damaging. You said you... Uh, you got a letter from the SEC, and then after the settlement, you got like $10. I got $100. $100 back. Okay, ah. so you got $100 back. But here's what Jimmy had to do. Jimmy had to go lick his wounds, right? Go back to the very bottom of the base of his pyramid and face the dark demons of maybe I'm not enough, right? And that's not a small thing. Anytime right. you face loss, you've now got to get back out of the pit and in a position to even get on the horse again, right? Yep. So he, he lost that time and energy. Then he had to go back to his job, work harder, get a bonus, because that's what you used. You got your first big bonus. You felt like a big player, and you, you threw it in the oil rig, right? Yep. So yep. then you had to go work, make all those relationships, sell all those doctors, hip and knee replacements, get your bonus. Then you had to write a big check for taxes, yep. right? Then you probably had to buy Susie something nice, because she was standing there pointing in your face, laughing at you, saying, I told you so. No, and, I would say, hey, we're too broke. I can't afford to get you anything like that. <laughs> and then you had money to try again. Do you yeah. see what Jimmy lost? 
and what he had to go through and why most people's path is so long and difficult and painful to create financial freedom. It's because they don't understand this principle of never lose. But even after taking that, uh, that punch to the face, I firmly believe oil and gas wells are phenomenal investments for the right people. For the right people at the right time. Yeah. And I also, you know, there's also enormous tax advantages. And I was also letting the tax tail wag the dog on that as well. And yeah, you were listening, you, you know, you went to a conference led by tax guys being, and then you were all scared that you had to just not pay taxes. I then, probably, probably just watched the Patriot too. So I was in a real like revolutionary, I don't want to pay taxes mood. And, and Jimmy here, I could have saved you all of this time and effort by saying the easiest way to, do you want everybody listening? Here's, here's how to pay zero in taxes for the rest of your life. You already get a pen out. Pull the car over because you might need to like pay attention to this. Just don't make any money. Yeah. And unfortunately, well, that's not the answer you wanted. But unfortunately, that's the reality of what most people get because like Jimmy said, they're, they're trying to look at the wealthy and saying, oh, the wealthy have offshore trusts and foreign entities and all intentionally defective, irrevocable trusts. I need all that stuff too. Yeah, that, actually, I'm going to go take my liquid reserve that got me through COVID, Brad, and I'm going to go start an offshore trust so, yeah. just so I don't have to pay taxes. Just so that I don't have to pay taxes, right? That's yeah. the definition of eating your seed corn because you now don't have anything to go create wealth with, okay? If even you're a billionaire- you taxes on that wealth. Yes, even if you have to pay taxes on that wealth. So if you're a billionaire, cool, go do all those things, right? But if you're not, then you should look at what they did to get there- in the first place. And I and promise you- If you're a politician you, raising other people's taxes, you should go do it too. Oh, political <laughs> zinger, boom. Zing. Right? So anyway, Jimmy, what, what else do we got to say on this? I feel like I've, I've ranted. I just- I feel better. I, yeah, I just, the whole like, I, rate of return, it's a silly, 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 silly discussion. So silly. And in the game of cash flow tactics, I think the first question I always get asked when I get introduced is, oh, Brad's the money guy. Cool. What should I invest in? And that's what I've said. I've said, well, based on your question alone, I don't know anything about you. That's like going to a doctor and saying, what prescription should I take? If the doctor's told you something, that that should be a quack, right? hope you enjoyed that last episode and thanks so much for listening to the rise up live free podcast do you have a question that you'd like us to answer raw and uncut on this podcast all you need to do is head over to the apple podcast and do three simple things number one leave a rating and review telling us what you think of the podcast number two in that review ask anything you want related to your path to becoming financially free and third if you want to shout out leave your instagram handle or name that's all Then listen in to hear your questions answered live, raw, and uncut. Join us next time on the Rise Up Live Free Podcast.